Lord be with you and also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sin. God's mercy endures forever. Friends, near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet, internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your self-identification with your own form of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us here for worship. Today we enter the Lenten wilderness. We acknowledge division and ponder together how to deal with division. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, let us stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, our, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us be seated for a time of silent prayer. A lesson from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, 
but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering and my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God, and boast in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us say responsibly verses from Psalm 25 with the Antiphon. my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Do not let those who wait for you to be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. God leads the humble in what is right, and teaches the humble the way. All paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. For those who keep his covenant, As one community of God, let us rise for the singing of the Gloria Dei and the reading of the Gospel.
Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Hope has two beautiful daughters, courage and anger. Hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. So at least thought Augustine of Hippo, but you already knew that. I mean, in your own existence, you already have learned that in the thickets, brambles, dark paths, wanderings, mistaken trails and accidents of life, you have met the Hope family daughters in the wilderness. Jesus meets us today in the wilderness, in Lent. Jesus walks with us in the wilderness. I remember during my junior year abroad in Segovia, Spain, learning as Lent began that one of our least religious Spanish friends was reading weekly Ignatius of Loyola's Ejercicios Espirituales. Surprised, I asked why. Siempre se saca algo bueno de este libro. One always, she said, takes something good from such a book. One learns, guided in the wilderness. Ours is a winter of discontents already familiar with wilderness. The desert of global terror, the forest of economic collapse, the badlands of political conflict, the sands of personal existential worry. Ours is a winter of discontents already familiar with wilderness. And one standard central casting feature of wilderness is division, discord, dissent, disagreement, difference. In the wilderness, in real human life, really lived by those really alive, we are always dealing with division. How do you deal with division? This morning, reading Paul, I hope you will deal with division, holding hands with both daughters, anger to the left, courage to the right. Hope has two beautiful daughters. But you already know this. One playwright said of his own work that he was simply holding up a mirror in front of his audience. And the ministry of the word of preaching is like that. 
We are holding up a mirror in which we can see ourselves, perhaps our best selves, maybe our forgotten selves, usually ourselves, in the manner of feeling the need of redemption. In other words, this Sunday, come Sunday, any Sunday, the preacher is not primarily here to tell you something you do not know. That may happen. That may be part of it. In fact, in a pulpit like this one, it should be part of it. So when they ask you at Shaw's over the melons and bananas if you learned anything over at Boston University come Sunday, you might say, well, yes. But that is not the marrow of the ministry of the word. Here, you hear about something else. Here, you hear not about something you do not know, but you hear about something you do know. You may have mislaid it, this something. You may have neglected it, this something. You may have forgotten it, this something. You may have avoided it, this something. Perjured it, rejected it, dismissed it, this something. But you know it. You know about it. I'm not here to tell you about something you do not know. I'm here to tell you about something you do know. I'm not here to give you something that you lack and I have. We are here together to receive something we have together, know together, share together, especially at Eucharist. That is what makes Sunday so joyful. Sunday is like a reunion with your best friends in the world. Sunday is like finding a book you have been missing for a decade. Sunday is like coming upon a town you had forgotten about forever, a town in which you once fell in love. Sunday is like reaching down into a drawer and feeling the smooth circle of a diamond ring you thought had disappeared forever. Sunday is like having the chance to talk to a dead parent, a dead lover, a dead friend when you never thought, ever thought, that chance would come again. That that is what makes Sunday, Sunday. When we offer a prayer, we do not do so as if you could not do so. We offer a prayer with the hope that it will say out, shout out, in a far sharper way than you might have imagined, what is in your heart, your own heart, already. When we sing an anthem, or in this case a full mass, we do so not because we know something you do not, or understand something you do not, or appreciate something you do not. This is not Music Appreciation 101. We sing because in our bones we feel and hope that the beauty you know, you recollect down deep, will be truer to your ear than it has ever been, precisely because you have known the feeling before. When we preach a sermon, we do not do so as if you could not say something similar. No, the word is always faith speaking to faith, one beggar secreting to another the path to bread, oft thought, ne'er so well expressed, we hope. Our friends give us back ourselves. Here is the way our old friend Friedrich Schleiermacher put it. Others of us see the task of ministry as that of giving a clear and enlivening description of a common 
inner experience. And what emerges as doctrinal teaching is really only a preparation and a means to that end. We do not fancy that we are introducing into our church communities something completely new. Rather, what is possessed is shared in common. And we serve our brothers and sisters only by explaining more clearly what it is and so awaken in them the joy in it as well as concern for it. So what is our shared common inner experience? What is our best past when we face division? I give you the witness of a man who knew a bit about conflict, Paul of Tarsus. Paul offers two divergent means of addressing conflict in his intimate, personal, pastoral letter to the Philippians. On the one hand, Paul displays a magnanimous courage in division, a courageous magnanimity toward his enemies. Hope's first daughter, courage, takes his hand. As the letter opens, Paul displays a robust magnanimity with regard to his opponents. He is in prison presumably as a consequence of something he said. His confinement, he understands, to advance the gospel. Guards have been impressed. They have told others about this remarkable apostle. Many know of his willingness to suffer bondage for his Lord. All the rest appear to know the story. Their gossip, he understands, to advance the gospel and also to make others the more bold to bear witness for their own part. Those who know that his imprisonment is for the defense of the gospel preach out of love and acclaim Christ. Others denigrate his service and suffering. We cannot know for sure, but Paul implies that these others use his bondage to evidence his unworthiness or untrustworthiness and find perhaps a kind of rough justice in his confinement, which in their preaching also, though contrarily, acclaims Christ. So Paul surveys the waterfront. He acknowledges both the sweet and the bitter. Then he serves up his forbearance, moderation, and equanimity, saying, what then? Either way, Christ is preached, and I rejoice in that. Note the difference, find the common ground, celebrate the good, move on. Paul exhibits courage, magnanimity. But Paul offers two divergent means of addressing conflict in this one intimate, personal, pastoral letter to the Philippians. Yes, on the one hand, courage, but on the other hand, Paul displays a heartfelt anger, an angry heart toward his enemies. Ah, Hope's second daughter, anger, takes his hand. And as the letter begins to close, Paul displays a ribald anger with regard to his opponents. It is unclear whether this group is the same group who received kind treatment earlier. The tone and approach of the two passages are so entirely different that though no textual evidence exists for this, readers and scholars have pondered whether two entirely different letters have here been combined. Beware, says Paul. Beware three groups. And then he names the three groups. You noticed his names for them. The dogs. The workers of evil. The mutilators. 
He has no tolerance for those who encourage Gentiles to be circumcised. No tolerance for those who depend on works to achieve salvation. No tolerance for those whose pessimistic, nationalistic, narrow interests keep them sniffing like dogs in spiritual refuse. Elsewhere, Galatians, Paul suggests, like Lincoln encouraging slavery supporters to try slavery for and on themselves sometime, that those who want to mutilate others might start by castrating themselves. Paul, angry. Paul has barked like this before. His thrice-repeated warning, beware, marks out a brightly colored line of distance from and disdain for his opponents. Note the difference, forget the common ground, attack the evil, move on. Paul exhibits anger. How shall we understand which of these approaches to employ ourselves when confronted with opposition? How shall we know to select either courageous magnanimity or heartfelt anger? By what authority shall we choose? We could somehow refer to scripture and let the weight of biblical interpretation rightly divide this word of truth. Of course, Paul would not have done so. He makes almost no authoritative reference to his Hebrew scripture in the course of his letters, with the exceptions of reliance on Abraham and remembrance of the Psalms. We could instead refer to the words of Jesus and let the collection of dominical sayings enshrined in dominical deeds make us wise like serpents and innocent like doves. Of course, Paul would not have done so. He knows nothing of Jesus or chooses to know nothing. No teachings, no wisdom sayings, no proverbs, no stories, no histories, no birth or death narratives, not parables, no mount or plain sermons, no beatitudes, no war oracles, none save cross and resurrection. If he knew these, they hold no power for him, and if he did not, he did not seem driven by curiosity to acquire them. We could then plunder the Egyptians, or at least the Greeks, and draw on philosophers and other wise teachers. Of course, Paul would not have done so. He makes no appeal to Plato, Plato or any of his descendants, to Aristotle or any of his, nor to any of the lesser figures and schools, although echoes of Stoicism do resound here and there in the letters. No to scripture, no to Jesus, no to Socrates, no. How then shall we know? Paul, with aplomb and otherworldly courage, says something like this. In your own spirited experience, when it comes to division, you will find your way. Let your conscience be your guide. As you deal with division in your own experience, you will learn and you will know. And every community, if it is a real community, knows division. Four roommates in a college dormitory know about division. Six humans thrown together in a nuclear family know about division. 500 baptized Christians in a church know about division. And so do colleges, universities, cities, states, regions, and countries. Even in Congress, they deal with division. But how will you know whether the one daughter or the other is your best ally? I have no clue. 
I haven't the foggiest, but you know. You will find your way, and you know better than anybody else. Silver and gold have I none. Two slight suggestions, though. Dealing with division only through anger or only through courage may not work. Any real anger, and anger is almost always misdirected to some degree, any real anger you will want to temper with the courage of magnanimity, and any real courage so difficult to muster you will want to temper with heartfelt honesty, even anger. Likewise, and second, take the long view. Is your opponent working toward your own self-same goal, telos, end? Then your sister take her hand is courage. Is your opponent dividing you from your own self-same goal, telos, end? Then your sister take her hand is anger. In print this week, in tears, I read the angry response of Elie Wiesel to his fraudulent investor who had stolen Wiesel's life savings and ruined his foundation. He spoke in heartfelt anger, and rightly so. Yet even the punishment that he suggested when queried to fit the crime, I noticed, he judged should have a time limit. Five years, anger, tempered with courage. In print this week in joy, I read the magnanimous response of Barack Obama to those who voted against him. Yet even the warm embrace of those who opposed was tempered with a little salt. I knew we could find some bilateralism in this chamber, he chided. Courage, tempered with anger. Jesus meets us this week in the wilderness, today the wilderness of division. He brings hope in courage and anger. He brings hope in anger and courage. He brings hope in courage and anger, for he is our hope.
Beloved, we pause to welcome one and all, particularly those who are new in our midst. If you would join with the gathered congregation, one and all, to use the ritual of friendship, that is, the red book in the side pew, and pass it along, we may greet one another by name following the service. Following the service, lunch is served downstairs, and we invite one and all to join us together. For those listening on the radio or the internet as we begin to receive our collection here today, we encourage you to respond by going to our website and finding there an internet manner for giving. We draw your attention to the notices printed in your bulletin, particularly about the museum trip following service today, about our baptism and confirmation opportunities, and especially today we thank our director of music, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, our organist, Mr. Justin uh, Blackwell, the director of our Collegium is Emily Rideout, and our musicians, choristers, and instrumentalists for bringing us the marvelous beauty of today's music. Let us continue to worship together by presenting our tithes and offerings. Oh, <laughs> 
offer these gifts in response to the grace which you have freely given us. We pray that you use these to empower your people for your service. In Christ's name, amen. Beloved Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. And we have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. And also with you. Let us exchange signs of peace one with another. Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks. And it is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. From the dust of the earth you formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, you bore up the ark on the waters, saved Noah and his family, and made covenant with every living creature on earth. When you led your people to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, 
You gave us your commandments and made us your covenant people. When your people forsook your covenant, your prophet Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And on your holy mountain, he heard your still, small voice. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ when you gave him to save us from our sin your spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights to prepare for his ministry when he suffered and died on a cross for our sin you raised him to life presented him alive to the to the apostles during 40 days 
and exalted him at your right hand. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your whole church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Now, when we, your people, prepare for the yearly feast of Easter, you lead us to repentance for sin and the cleansing of our hearts, that during these 40 days of Lent, we may be gifted in grace to reaffirm the covenant you made with us through Christ. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to you, he broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was ended, he took the cup, he gave thanks to you, he gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. May we continue in prayer. Almighty God, thou who was and is and evermore will be, we lift you up above all others, for you alone are worthy. Thank you for all that you have done and all that you have yet to do. We praise you, dear Lord, for your boundless love and faithful mercy. With humble hearts, we admit our sins, gracious Father. Forgive us and strengthen our hearts, for we commit them to you. Help us to love our neighbors, help the needy, comfort those in despair, and simply forgive. In this season of reflection, help us to give up some of our busyness in our lives, to focus our attention on you, Heavenly Father. Be in our understanding so that we may grow in our relationship with you. Our trust is in you, and we ask that you guide us, loving Father. Bless the nation and its leaders as they struggle with the challenges we all face. Though we are diverse in many things, economic class, race, religion, politics to name a few, we are e pluribus unum, one in many. Help us to value and respect our differences as a source of strength rather than as a reason for division. We pray for all who live where oppression and the ravages of war are part of their daily routine. We pray for peace. We pray for the world's leaders. Touch their hearts so they will work together towards peace. We recognize that many are struggling today. Bless those who are dealing with loss. We pray for the sick and dying as well as those who are caring for them. We pray that they all feel the comfort and love of your faithful presence. And as the old hymn says, I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear these burdens alone. We raise our prayers in the name of our kind and compassionate friend. Amen. Amen. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Beloved, as guided in the bulletin and instructed by the ushers, we invite you to come forward in a moment to receive communion in both kinds.
Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit, be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 